0: Hello, and welcome to another special edition of Capital Cast: Perspectives on Progress. I'm Peter Hancock. So far in this series, we've featured conversations with members of the Illinois Legislative Black Caucus to hear their thoughts about the state of race relations in Illinois, the Black Lives Matter protests that have swept across the state, and their ideas on how the state can move forward from here. In this episode, we're going to expand the conversation. State Representative Tom Demmer is a Republican from Dixon, a town most noted as the boyhood home of former President Ronald Reagan. He is also the deputy House Republican leader, the second highest ranking Republican in the House his 90th house district takes in parts of Lee, Ogle, LaSalle, and DeKalb counties, all of which are predominantly white, and his district as a whole is made up mainly of small towns and rural areas. I started off by asking Demmer what the mood was like in his part of the state, and it was somewhat surprising to hear that even in an area like that, the Black Lives Matter movement is resonating.
1: Yeah, so the, the you know, people around uh, Lee County, Ogle County, Calhoun County, LaSalle County—those are the four counties that represent. Um, I think people were um, really shocked and appalled at what happened to George Floyd. Um, I mean, the video is chilling, and and I think you know people from um, all walks of life would view that and say that's just a, a absolutely horrific thing that happened. Um, the response to that in different parts of the country has you know has been a little different. I think based on individuals. Um, community and life experiences, but even in, you know, communities in rural Illinois, in the district I represent, we've seen a number of demonstrations, um, peaceful marches, um, you know, demonstrations with with signs and um, higher traffic areas, things like that, and I I think people have uh, rightly been looking for a way to express uh, some some solidarity um, and also to express that, you know, that kind of thing is, is not and shouldn't be um, tolerated or accepted in the United States of America, and so I, I think it's been, uh, you know, pretty pretty positive to see some of the reaction about you know people standing up and saying that kind of thing is just not uh, not permissible, and um, you know even in some some very small towns um, we've seen people rise up and, and uh, declare that that they're not going to stand by quietly while that kind of thing happens.
0: One of the things I keep hearing, and we've interviewed a number of members of the Legislative Black Caucus, and the sense that I get from them is that it isn't about just individual incidents like this, even though there have been many. Uh, what they see is an entire system, an economic and social system, that is preferential to white people and detrimental to people of color. Do you agree with that sense, or uh, do you think racism in America is more isolated and individualistic?
1: You know, I don't think it's as isolated as you know an individual instance might suggest. And I, I agree with the the idea that what we're seeing is not just a reaction to one specific incident um, or a series of you know particularly egregious incidents. I think it um, it casts some light on. Uh, a larger, more structural problems that that we have, and certainly problems that have been long running, um, that have you know are not uh, are not recent phenomenon that have come up. I think that's probably some of the reason that this uh, these kind of movements have resonated beyond just you know maybe the the specific city in which uh, an incident happens. That it resonates farther than that because you know we hear from a number of um, you know prominent uh, people of color who have talked about their own experiences, um, you know, people who, who are, are well known for, you know, whatever their, their profession, uh, you know, they're, they're people who, who um, have familiar household names and they've talked about even, even in, in those levels um, being subjected to um, circumstances that I think are, are not fair. And, uh, you know, it, it doesn't take long before you start to spot a trend in that. So I think that's the kind of message that tends to resonate more with people beyond just, you know, this specific um, incident that uh, maybe is, uh, you know, the the thing that's on TV at the moment. I think it resonates beyond that. And the message is, water, is wider and broader because there is something more to it.
0: So when lawmakers returned to Springfield in November – there are likely going to be a lot of calls for different kinds of reform. What do you think in particular of the defund the police movement, uh, which might be more aptly named, you know, reinvent the police movement turn police departments into something other than armed forces patrolling the
1: streets? Well, look, I think that it's not as, um, some people have tried to, to paint this, you know, this stark contrast between either, you know, uh, support the status quo and everything that's happening with police today or defund the police and abolish police departments. I mean, you've seen everything across that spectrum, and I, I really don't think uh, that that either of those alternatives is, is appropriate. Um, I, I think that, you know, there are even quite a few members of police departments who have called out and denounced you know some of these uh, some of these actions and, and talked about some of the ways that um, uh, police officers have abused their positions um, in communities around my area we've seen police departments um, be supportive and sometimes participate in uh, in some of the, the marches and protests and I think that that shows that this is not uh, just the, the block of police as one you know monolithic structure. And so, I think there are opportunities for us to to re um, to, to you know to look again at what's the appropriate uh, level of how can we inject more accountability into police departments? How can we make sure that uh, people who had their rights violated um, have appropriate recourse? How can we be sure that you know police officers who engage in this kind of behavior don't um, get off with just a slap on the wrist? Um, that they're actually held accountable for what they they've done, um, but you know the calls I, I I strongly disagree with the calls to you know in a blanket way defund the police, um, to dismantle and abolish police departments. We saw just this past weekend in Chicago, over a hundred people were shot in one weekend. Um, this shows that there are you know there's there's a widespread problem with violence. Uh, police officers have have a role to play and do so in many many communities all around the country and around the world in pr- promoting public safety in a huge number of incidences now it doesn't mean that we should you know look the other way when people abuse that position um, but I, I certainly think that the concept that, that's been talked about in some parts of the country about um, r- eliminating police departments I think is a fundamentally wrong uh, message and and wrong solution to take out of this
0: problem. So I'm sort of wondering what sorts of measures would you and your Republican colleagues in the House be willing to support? Because, I mean, we can pass all the bills and enact all the laws we want, but unless, you know, people across the spectrum, both parties, all races get on board, uh, nothing's really going to change. So what would you and your republican colleagues be willing to look at
1: you know first i want to say i you know i'm not going to come into this and say that i've got the answers for this i I mean i I want to be in a position of listening to the suggestions and the um, solutions that are offered by um, many of my colleagues in the black and latino caucuses um, my colleagues who have been you know personally touched by this who see this uh you know in in a very pronounced way in their districts um, I think an appropriate role right now is for um, us to listen and to be supportive of um, you know things that that uh, our colleagues are telling us would improve the situation in their districts and more large more broadly in the entire state of Illinois.
0: Another theme that comes out in talking with the black leaders is the idea of reinvesting in communities of color. Um, Many of these neighborhoods, they've seen businesses leave, employment opportunities have left, property values are declining. They feel like there needs to be some more reinvestment. And we have some things in Illinois. uh, The recently passed marijuana law uh, directs money uh, back into many of those communities. Uh, The capital plan has apprenticeship programs tied to it. Uh, do you think those measures are enough? Uh, do, does there need to be some additional kind of reinvestment?
1: I think reinvestment is, is key to this. I, I agree with that. You know, this has been something where I've spent a lot of time working on healthcare policy uh, in Springfield. And, you know, we've talked a lot and looked at a lot of different programs that help um, provide uh, adequate and increased funding for healthcare services in some of these um, most, uh, most at-risk communities um, to try to ensure that there's sufficient and appropriate healthcare um, in those communities. And so I, I certainly um, agree with, with that angle. It's, that's you know an ongoing conversation. We have uh, an opportunity through a, a new program um, called the Hospital Transformation Program uh, to dedicate um, up to 150 million dollars a year uh, to support healthcare in many of these underserved communities, I think that's a great opportunity for us to to make an increased investment. Looking more broadly at you know economic investments in uh, many of these uh, disadvantaged communities, I think that's uh, definitely an area that that um, I'm interested in and you know can be supportive of is trying to provide that spark in some cases towards. Uh, turning around the economic uh, downturn or the, the, the pressures and the tide that have been pulling against these kind of new um, new investments and new opportunities in those communities. Uh, I, I certainly think that's a big piece of the, of the puzzle is trying to provide um, more and higher quality opportunities for people who live and work in some of these communities who have been hardest hit by um, in much of this economic strife for, for decades. I also think, you know, in, in this, uh, as there's been uh, the demonstrations, um, some of the unrest, um, but also, you know, a little bit uh, more media attention on the stories coming out of some of these communities, I think a really um, good place for us to look is to talk to and hear from uh, some of the business owners, the small business owners, the entrepreneurs who have had success stories. Um Bringing a new investment into an underserved community or uh, I know I read a story a couple of days ago about a a Pharmacist um, in the Roseland neighborhood Who the story was about you know how he's trying to rebuild after his store was uh, vandalized and looted But you know one of the one of the big takeaways from that story for me as well was this guy was he's an 81 year old Pharmacist he's been in business in that in the Roseland community at a small pharmacy for almost 50 years you know, looking at trying to talk to people like like him and, and ask, you know, what what things have made it possible for you to run a business here? What things, you know, could we do that would make it even better or that could help, you know, more people open businesses and the lot next door or across the street? You know, what could we do to provide um, some of that support? I, I think there are some really positive success stories, and I'd love, you know, a, a chance for Um, legislators from around the state to hear from some of those business owners about what makes them successful.
0: Okay, I want to go back a question I forgot to ask you a few minutes ago when you talked about police accountability. Um, There's been a lot of talk about the issue of uh, police enjoying qualified immunity from civil suits. Uh, Is that something you would be willing to look at at a state level, amending that? Or is that a a federal issue?
1: Well, I I think there are a number of um, federal implications to the concept of qualified immunity, especially as it relates to violation of constitutional rights, of federal constitutional rights. But I think, you know, one of the important things is that, you know, qualified immunity does not protect officials who violate clearly established law we may need a better process to distinguish, to define what's what's the test of clearly established. I know there's been some criticism of uh, the, the tests that are applied to, you know, would an average officer know that you know, this type of conduct was in violation of clearly established law. I think there are definitely uh, areas that, that need to be improved in how the qualified immunity um, Doctrine is uh, applied, but uh, I I don't think that, you know, qualified immunity is it sounds like, you know, it's just this blanket immunity that protects, you know, any action that that an officer or public official would take. And I don't think that's the case and certainly not how it should be applied. Um, This it's not a doctrine that's designed to uh, allow people to violate uh, clearly established law or constitutional rights. And, uh, you know, that, that perhaps is the portion of it that, uh, that needs more scrutiny, but, um, you know, it's, it's largely the interpretation of qualified immunity today is largely based on, um, federal court case precedent and not legislative, um, language. And so perhaps there's an opportunity for a legislature, whether it's, uh, whether it's Congress or whether it's a state legislature, um, to, uh, provide legislative clarification of the purpose and the application of qualified immunity.
0: So absent that, what are some ways that we can hold police and police departments more accountable?
1: I think that's a really good question, and again, I'm you know not going to come to the table and say that I've got the answers on that. I, we've got a number of suggestions, um, one from the uh, former senator, state senator of, of mine, um, uh, former Senator and Lee County Sheriff Tim Divins, uh worked with Attorney General uh, Raul back when he was a member of the State Senate as well um, on a proposal to uh, license police officers. Um, I think you know that's the kind of concept that's been had been more widely discussed in the last couple of months. Um, but uh, you know, honestly, I, I think I I'm open and want to listen and be supportive um, from some folks who are. Um, much more uh, have personal experience with this and and have uh, more direct interaction in their districts with the kinds of steps that could be taken that would improve the credibility and the relationship between communities and the police officers that serve them
0: so finally I guess historically Republicans have been very much the party of law and order uh, even going back to the Nixon days and historically they've been reluctant to uh, adopt policies that look like they're reining in the police or that they're criticizing law enforcement. Do you think that corner has kind of been turned here? Do you think Republicans generally are maybe willing to take a broader look at it now in light of the movement that's going on? Well,
1: look, first of all, law and order never means protecting Uh, law enforcement officials who abuse their power um, or themselves commit criminal offenses against uh, people who they're um, arresting or are are in, um, you know, come across there in the line of duty. Uh, Law and order does not mean turning a blind eye to what's uh, the the abuses or malfeasance of public officials of any kind. And so I, I think that, you know, we when you talk about police accountability, um, that does not stand in opposition to a concept of law and order. Uh, that's one of the reasons why you know, I, I don't think it's appropriate to simply defund the police or abolish the police departments because um, they, there's still a very legitimate, and valid public purpose to law enforcement. Uh, now, at the same time, we should be, and I think we do have an opportunity, to enact policies that can bring bring better accountability to ensure that the law is applied equally and fairly to both members of the community and to the police departments um, who are charged with upholding that law. Um, Officers, uh, police departments, uh, institutions that uh, protect those kinds of abuses, um, they are not serving the cause of law and order. this cause of law and order is served by equal and fair justice being brought to every individual, um, regardless of the position or the official um, status that they hold.
0: That was Illinois Deputy House Republican Leader Tom Demmer of Dixon. And this has been a special edition of Capital Cast: Perspectives on Progress. Capital Cast is a production of Capital News Illinois, a Statehouse reporting project of the Illinois Press Foundation. Our theme music is by Kevin McLeod. Until next time, this is Peter Hancock saying thank you for listening.